And it also is my pleasure to introduce a man who will share with us some joy and some happiness in our lives, Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you, Elizabeth, for being here and support of all that's going on. Good morning. So I'm going to invite you to sing a song and say a prayer with me. If you'd like to stand and do that, please feel free. If not, please stay seated. <clears throat> we don't have the words behind me. Uh, as you know, we were put the, the call out for our production team. And this part of our team hasn't shown up today. So wherever they are, we love them. But we are going to have to come up with the words on our own. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very So what I know in this moment, and I invite you to know with me, is I recognize the one life in and through and as all of our lives. And I speak in the I am around these ideas today. I am guided and directed, resourced and supported in everything necessary for me to know in this moment. I surrender into that, understanding my part to play my part to process and shift my perception on and to know that as I open in a new way to the possibilities I'm at peace and the clarity around that peace is powerful and beautiful that life is eternal that these spacesuits that we wear that I wear are the vehicle in this moment for the expression of that life and yet the true life within all of us is that spiritual nature. And so what I know in this moment and open and available to is the transformation of my own consciousness. And in that process, being better able to help support others in their transformation. I give thanks for this beautiful day, for our musicians, for our volunteers, for all of the technology, for all of the consciousness, prayers and love that have gone forth to support the idea of love on this planet. We are one light in that beacon of love. For this I give thanks, knowing every good thing is here and in through and as each and every one of us that is appropriate and necessary right now. For this I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Awesome. Thank you, Brown. Thank you, Debbie. I thought it was global heart. It's golden heart. And uh, the global, what almost is the same thing, doesn't it? 
the one heart. So today I'm, I'm sharing with you some ideas that were inspired by uh, Greg, uh, Dr. Greg Bear when we were in uh, uh, California at our Silomar conference. He showed up as one of the keynote presenters. And he wrote the book called Real Love, and I've, I've spoken about it uh, since I was there. And uh, um, wonderful stuff. You know, his, uh, his definition of real love is that when we come to relationship with one another, it really is about seeking and, and being focused on the happiness of the other person rather than what we can get. And so it's really about offering unconditional love in the support of, uh, of everyone. And it's growing that consciousness. So love's longing for truth was inspired by that, and that's what I titled my sharing with you today. Love's longing for truth is that, as, as Dr. Greg Bear said at uh, Silomar, that when we tell the truth, it becomes the opening for love. And what we represent as a community and as a religious philosophy or, or spirituality, we're not really not a religion, but we, we celebrate spirituality. And we are a, a movement of ancient wisdom. There was a period of time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to weave in a bit of Richard Rohr's work today. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest that's just an amazing, wonderful man. In fact, my friend Maureen Hoyt, who's a, a minister at the Westlake Church of Religious Science right now, went to see him speak in uh, Pasadena about two months ago. And uh, she couldn't park close enough. She's got a bit of a, of a mobility challenge, but she was, uh, it was about seven miles from the venue. There were so much people showed up to see this guy. So she just went home. But uh, Richard Rohr, it's interesting too, the synchronicity of it. Maureen is probably my dearest friend in ministry, and we were both reading his book, Falling Upward, at the same time without knowing it. And I called her and said, I've got to tell you about this great book. She said, well, I'll tell you about mine first. And then she told me about the book I was going to tell her about. I said, okay. There truly is only one mind. But spirituality is caught. It's not taught. And so when we, when we, we have our classes, when you come together in the, in the collective of inquiry and examination, there's a, there's a consciousness upon the group. There's a consciousness upon the work of Dr. Ernest Holmes that's, that's, that's powerful and amazing. And we are in ancient wisdom teaching. There was a period that uh, Richard Rohr uh, re refers to in his book, Adam's Return, which is the book that I'm going to use a bit of today, The Five Promises of Male Initiation. And it's a wonderful book around what's happened to men uh, over the last, well, since for the last 2,000 years. But, he, but prior to Christianity, about 800 to 200 BC was the pre-axial consciousness period. And interestingly enough, they didn't have this idea of heaven and eternal reward in heaven. That didn't come along until uh, Jesus came along and, and, and did his work. Prior to that, what happened in that period, the pre-axial consciousness period, was that the, the whole emphasis was on initiation. The whole emphasis was about starting well. So in other words, when there, was a, when there was initiation, and we've lost a lot of that in our culture, the male initiations and the, the, the initiations for young women, it's alive, but not like it was in that period of time. It was really about starting well. And so I've been really thinking about this in terms of when we go into our classes, how do we start well? How do we take, make a sacred covenant with that, that larger mind, that higher self that lives within each and every one of us? How do we stand in that and, and, and create a sacred covenant and a vow that really propels us forward in our own evolution and our own transformation? And the, and the reason why this work is important, we are a community that, that, that nurtures and uh, teaches and fosters 
transformation, the transformation of consciousness. And why that's important is, as we look back over history, is transformed people tend to transform people. Transformed people tend to transform people. We need people in our lives that stretch us and, 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 and model the possibility for us. I want to share a story that I think illustrates it so beautifully from Richard Rohr's book. It's called Adam's Return. I've mentioned it, but usually in the line people ask me what book it was. Adam's Return, The Five Promises of Male Initiation. And in it, on page 11, yep, interesting story about having uh, how a culture is important. He said a few years ago there was a, spe- a nature special on television about elephants in a certain part of Africa. And for some reason these young bull elephants were acting strangely. Out of character. Strangely out of character. Antisocial and aimlessly violent. They were stomping on VWs. They were pushing over trees for no reason and even killing other animals and baby elephants. Park rangers came in to study the problem, and in the course of their investigation, they discovered that there were no older bull elephants. There were no longer older bull elephants in that environment, in that area. By some accident, all the older bulls had either died or been poached for their ivory, which left the young teenage males to roam and forage out of control. And so they looked at this, and they came up with a solution. They brought in some older bull elephants from other areas by helicopter. They lowered them onto the scene, and in a matter of weeks, amazingly, the whole situation had changed. Apparently, all the old bulls did was wave their ears and make various sounds or small charges, and somehow the younger male elephants understood through these communications that their behavior was not the way good elephant boys should act. It seemed to be just that simple. Things soon returned to normal once the elders operated as elders. In the human realm where there are no kings, young warriors become brutal, magicians behave as charlatans, and lovers are soon addicts. Someone had to give the young male boundaries an identity. They do not get them by themselves or without guidance. And I believe the same is true for spirituality. That all of us, as you look along the walls here, you'll see some of our heroes that we we look to. And there's, there's some things, I'll, I'll come back to them in a moment. As Richard Rohr says, most men in our culture are over-mothered and under-fathered. In the effects of this are lifelong for both genders, for both men and women, creating boys who never grow up and want to marry mothers instead of wives, and girls who want securing and affirming daddies instead of risk-taking partners. Neither gender is ready for the work and adventure of a full life. And so when I talk about the love's longing for truth, this is, this is the, the roadmap of what we have on the planet today. I think it's, it's, it's quite accurate. Richard Rohr has done a lot of work with young men. He worked as a, a prison chaplain for 14 years in, uh, New, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And what he does now is he takes groups of young men and they do, uh, they do a vision quest. They take them through the rites of initiation because we've lost it in our culture. When I was 17 years old, probably the the significant thing that changed me the most as a young man was I I went to Outward Bound for 30 days. And it changed everything. It shifted my perception. It took me out of the old fears and biases that I had, and it presented me with new fears and biases. But they were more more expansive. It was was more of of being able to live in the mystery. 
One of the things that I find quite compelling, he, he, he cites this at the, on the next page after he talks about the bull elephants, because what we need in our environment are healthy bull elephants, male and female, people of wisdom. I mean, that's the, the croning ceremony for the, for the women, you know, the, honoring that, that, that ancient wisdom, that, that, that lineage. He was talking about, I find this very interesting, he's talking about an Indian culture where there's arranged marriages because their whole mindset towards this, and I'm not promoting it. I know in the West we think, oh God, you know, I want freedom of choice. But what they, what they look at it and they say, why would we throw away all of this wisdom through all of the years? This is why they don't, there's not this large revolt. They honor the wisdom to guide them in it. It's a whole different approach. I don't, I don't understand it, and I'm not suggesting that we change things here, which we won't, we won't anyway, but I just thought, he said he finally got it when he asked the question about these arranged marriages. But this is a pattern. He said the patterns are identifiable for young men. It's part of what we live in today. The patterns of failure among young men are frightening. The levels of depression, suicide, drug abuse, alcoholism, and violence among young males today are exponential. Over 94% of all inmates are male. Not only do men live on average of seven years less than women, but they suffer far more than their female counterparts from ulcers and other stress-related diseases. They are more likely than women to die sooner from each of the 15 leading causes of death. Over 80% of all suicides are men. And I think one of the reasons it strikes me is we did that, that memorial for that young man, uh, Thomas, Alex, Alex Thomas Haig, here. 500 people in this building. And we had people sitting on the stage, standing in the hallways. We had people everywhere. And he fits in this category. In the 20 to 24 age bracket, males commit suicide almost six times as often as females. When men are over 85, they are over 14 times as likely to commit suicide as women of the same age. Men are hurting. That's the reality of part of what we live in. And so what's, what, for me, it's a call for bringing wisdom bringing bigger ideas, bringing the bigger possibility into the awareness and the consciousness of the individuals. My wife, Laura, is not with us today or she'd be up there running the screen because she usually ends up running the screen and that's why we're putting together our production team. So thank you. I'm t I am talking to you when I, I say we need you up there. We need you as part of this because we really can use some help. We're going to start live streaming our, our talks and, and, and touching lives uh, um, in, 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 in different ways. But for all of this, this, this opportunity, where, where Lori is today, she's at a workshop on, on, um, on women, on womanhood, and how women and men relate. Because we look out in the world and we look at the statistics. I look at the statistics for young men. But it's a, a series of trainings that she's going through, and we want to put it into our own our sort of format and then bring the spiritual component to it and share it, share it within this community and also be able to take it into environments where people don't have the wisdom, don't have the clarity about what's happening. St. Francis of Assisi said to all of his, his priests as he would graduate them, he'd say, preach the gospel at all times. Preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear anything you're saying. It's, it's really about growing the consciousness, the beingness. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, even use words. The beautiful thing is, is that when we stand in the, in the brilliance of what our tradition stands for at its, at its finest level, it's a, it's a state of being. 
that gets communicated. It's a state of grace and beauty and understanding, and it's also a willingness to stand in the mystery. To stand in the mystery of life and understand that Richard Rohr says that, that he believes that life is, is made up in thirds for all of us. A third is our, how we are raised, how we are mothered and fathered. A third is the, the culture we grow up in, the environment. And a third is free choice. And the free choice part for us, many people think, well, it's all free choice. Well, we don't control it all. There are statistics out there that, 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 that we can measure. Some of it I just read to you. And none of us support that. But that's the reality. But what we can do is bring awareness to it and bring, a, bring an insight to it so that our response to it can be healthier, can be wiser. And this is the journey we're on. When we talk about waking up, waking up, we are, we are waking up. The challenge is worse is that we prefer the familiar and the habitual because the new always demands the death of the familiar. We have to be willing to die, as the Apostle Paul said, to die daily. Because there really is no death. Our spirit is eternal. We live in a, in a culture that it, where it's very popular to either, be, to either blame, let's fix the blame, whose fault is it, or to be victimized. And it's a very, very popular idea. Jesus talked about it. Jesus of Nazareth told a story of he went to, uh, to a village. And in the village there was a man. And he lived amongst, he didn't live in town. He lived in the tombs. And he was naked. He had no clothes and he lived in the tombs. And so Jesus heard about this man and he went down to the tombs and he found the man. And as the story goes, that this man was possessed by demons. And so he eradicated the demons and he took and he placed the demons into the swine, into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff. And so the people of the village, when they saw this happen, were not happy. Because what they'd done, the people of the village used the man down in the tombs that was naked as the scapegoat. He's the reason for all of our problems. And now you have eradicated that inner, elevated the consciousness, and now we can no longer blame him. Who are we going to blame? So they no longer had a scapegoat. And so what the people of the village said to Jesus was, you have to go. We don't want you here. Go away, go away, go away. And the man who had been brought back to his, this bigger mind, to the larger consciousness... I no longer carried because he bought into their, their, their blame. He was in agreement. You're right, I am the cause of all your problems, which was just that error of belief that he had. But he believed it as well, and as soon as that shifted for him, but he, he still had to deal with these people. He still had to go re-engage them in a way, and he wasn't willing to do that. So he said to Jesus when they said, Jesus, you've got to get out of here. And Jesus was boarding the ship, and the man said, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, 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 you stay here. You stay here and you go. And he says, well, I'm going to go back and live in the tombs. And Jesus said, no, you go live in your home. Because you are a reminder. You are a touchstone. You are a teacher for this village. And what it is, is that what it speaks volumes to is that, that when I say love, love's longing for the truth, we all have challenges. 
We all have things in life that don't work. But when we, we start to blame and find the scapegoat for that rather than do our own work, it's not the truth. It's imitation love, as, as Greg Bear would say. And it takes great courage to do the work, to stand in it. Richard Rohr says, in the spiritual life, there is no elsewhere. In the spiritual life, there's no elsewhere. We are the, the center for spiritual living. First and last, you are your major problem. As the cartoon character Pogo said, I have met the enemy, and he is us. My angers and my irritations are, first of all, saying something about me, and that is what I must hear before I make any other judgments. But human beings will do everything under the sun to avoid the problems of me now and here. It is probably what we really mean by confessing our sins and embracing our shadow. It is very hard and utterly humiliating work. So if we're going to make a difference in our own lives, this is what I know after being at it for 15 years. This is what I know. Let me just speak from what I know. You guys, there's nothing you need to do. But for me, what I know is that when, when I step into that trap of blame or victimization or whatever it is, and I start to, to point fingers, I start to find the scapegoat, I'm just delaying my own process. I'm, not, I'm just not being truthful with myself. What is it within me? Dr. Ernest Holmes said we must look at a thing long enough until it has no power over us. So if we're angry and we're frustrated... We feel victimized. We feel like we've been done wrong. Life isn't fair. There's no place for that shift to take place but within us. Me, here, now. You, here, now. And the thing that we look at usually is threatening or uncomfortable. If we do not transform our pain, it will be transmitted in some form. If we don't transform it here, it'll be transmitted in some form. That's why these rites of passages are so important for a young man to understand. I'm timing myself today. A little structure here for me. I got my... Got a little stopwatch on my iPhone and I'm timing myself. Uh, and it's good for me. So I got about eight minutes left. Because right. it goes off and then you got to punch the buttons to see where you are. Uh, I mentioned Laura. Laura's at a training and she, she shares a lot of the information with me. And one of the things that, uh, wonderful, uh, this training is by a woman by the name of Alison Armstrong. It's called PAX and it's really about men and women um, and, and why. You know, women marry their dads and, 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 and men are looking for their moms. And then we, we, we find them and we can't figure out why we are not ready for the great adventure of life. And so, it's, it, and, and so what we know is that this is information I think is really important because we want to live the great adventure of life. I love the great adventure of life. When I met Laura, I always tell Laura, if I hadn't met you, I never would have taken the job in Edmonton. But she was, a, she was a signpost to, for me to, to engage in the great adventure of life. Let's go. I said, how many people would do what we did? Look at We were just having lunch the other day. How many people would we do? We gave up everything. Left everybody behind. Left, I left my kids with their mom. 
which was very hard for me to do. And it really grew me. And it really forced me to get clear about my love and appreciation and, and commitment to them. Because I didn't leave them, but geographically I removed myself. So at this training, one of the things that Allison talks about is, in, in, a, in, in a bit of the information that, that Laura shared with me via Allison, Allison um, Armstrong of PAX will say to the group, I want you to think about someone in your life that you used to love, that you loved dearly, but you don't love them anymore. And I want you to think, think about some, some thing, some organization, some group that you used to love. Maybe it was the Tory party, maybe it was the Liberal party, something you used to love, but you don't love it anymore. And then think of some activity, some activity that you used to love, that you don't love anymore. Because we've all done this, we all step into this trap, and what it is, is it's resignation. We just get resigned. Look, I've done this, I was, I was married to so-and-so, or I was in part of this group, or I was part of this... And there was that tipping point where you just got fed up and said, this is it, no more. And you slip into resignation. So what resignation does is it becomes a prison for our love. This is is love's longing for truth. Our our resignation puts us, puts the, the love doesn't go anywhere. The love's there. The love's always there. We are unbounded, unconditional love. We are the, we, it's there. It's not something that we have to grow. It's, it, it, we become hardwired with this. But when we slip into resignation, our, our being, our consciousness becomes a, a prison for our love. Because I'm, I'm withholding my love. I'm not loving you anymore. And this is, this is our situation, and it's common. We've all done this at some level. I'm not loving you anymore. I'm, I'm, to protect myself and to feel better, I'm not going to extend this love. But what Allison says is in the training they do with, the, with men and women is, is that there's a shift in perception, which is exactly what we do here. The shift in perception creates the will. The will, the will is that, 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 I talked about it last week, it's that ideal, it's that idea. All of a sudden our will gets reinforced because all of a sudden the love is there to reinforce the will. Well, what takes us out of, of resignation is hope. And how this works within our community here is that we'll put, someone will come and they'll say, life's not working and I just I, gotta, I, I need help or whatever. They get into a, a class, they work with a practitioner, they read a book, they get inspired, they hear a talk, they go to another workshop, they meet somebody here who's involved in the same thing they're involved with and they, they guide them to information. Whatever it may be, new resources show up, new awareness, a shift in perception. And then all of a sudden you say, wow, I didn't have these resources before. When I went into resignation before, when I lost hope, I didn't have this, but now I have a practitioner working with me. Now I have this great book. Now I do meditation every morning. Now I do, you know, we don't meditate to be good meditators. We, do, we meditate so those things can, can bubble up for us so that we can look at them. We can look at them long enough so they don't have power over us anymore. A lot of people say to me when they start meditating, I can't meditate, my, t- mind's, my mind's too active. And then the stuff that comes up for me, I don't want to look at. And I'll say, slow down, slow down, look at it. Just look at it and let it dissolve. That's Eckhart Tolle's his whole work is bringing consciousness to that what is real. And it, 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 it dissolves it. What it is is love. We've got all these banners around here I mentioned earlier. Every one of these people has made a difference on the planet. And the one thing that they all have in common, one thing they all share is love. Martin Luther King, he had every re- reason in the world to quit. The Dalai Lama, 
I don't know how many, how many Tibetan uh, Buddhists have been killed by the Chinese. Every reason in the world to be bitter and angry. Mahatma Gandhi. Oprah's gone through her trials. She's had this tremendous ministry. John Lennon. Mother Teresa. Ernest Holmes. Jesus of Nazareth. They all, they never let themselves slip into the resignation long enough to affect what they were doing and what, what their purpose was. They were called to that. They taught from that bigger mind, that, that grander sense of self. That grander sense of being. And they're models for us. They are the bull elephants that we can look at. That's how to do life. That's how I can do this. How can I shift my perception? How can I catch myself sooner rather than later when I'm blaming and shaming? It takes a contemplative mind to be content. It takes a contemplative mind to be content with paradox and mystery. Paradox and mystery. This is from Richard Rohr. The daily calculating mind works in a binary way. Either or thinking gives one a sense of control. The small mind works by comparison and judgment, and the great mind works by synthesizing and suffering with alternative truths. Synthesizing and suffering with alternative truths. Maybe I'm not right. Hmm, maybe there's another way to look at this. What we have right now in terms of scapegoats, if you look at the West and you look at the rest of the world, the scapegoat for all of that unexpressed, unbrought up into the air and looked at and say, I'm gonna stare at this long enough so it has no power over me. We now have the Taliban and the the Al-Qaeda. Because it's real easy to hate those guys. Let's project on those guys. But that's not the consciousness that will shift it. It is being willing to to, to synthesize and suffering with alternative truths. The ego cannot stand this suffering, and that is exactly why it's so hard for religions and individuals to grow up. The ego prefers a satisfying untruth to an unsatisfying truth because the the ego demands instant satisfaction and the settling of all dust. Initiation is not moralistic at all. It was mystical and contemplative. It unveiled the great spirit in all things. And I I mentioned it over and over in the last few weeks as I'm so clear about this now, that we do need to make choices. We do need to set our sails in a certain direction. And if there's things in your life that you're longing for and really want to experience, use your spiritual tools to bring that into your experience. I always say to people, I had a lady that came to me years ago and said, I want you to do prayer work for me because I want to win the lottery. And I kept wanting to look at the deeper causation and I kept saying, what does it mean for you to to win the lottery? Well, it means I'll have a lot of money. I can do whatever I want. I said, yeah, yeah, I get that. But what below that, what does that mean? Trying to get to this sense of, you know, it means freedom. It means joy. It means peace. We never got there, by the way. She said, just say the prayer. And I said, well, are you going to pay me? She said, when I win, I'll pay you. I said, oh, okay, great. There's some faith. But the point is, is that we can be abundant. Abundance is life. We can be prosperous. It's a state of being. This is why I teach that Prosperity Plus class. I want people to pull it up in their life and look at the fear they have around money. Because once you look at it long enough, you realize there's nothing to fear here. I got everything I need. And then we build the trust and the faith within ourselves so that when, when, when good does show up in our lives in bigger ways, we know exactly what to do. It doesn't scare us. 
I think people are scared to death to win a lot of money. I really do. I think that's one of the reasons that we limit it. We bring these old beliefs along with us. We limit it. And not to win, but to have more. I mean, it's very, very deep. And we were given these patterns as young children and to un- unravel that in a way that's powerful and meaningful. That's the work. That's the work. We're not taking it with us anyway. But we teach the perennial truth. We are an ancient wisdom teaching. And what we can do, wherever we are in our lives, is we can find the ways to initiate and start well now, today. And call upon the collective wisdom and call upon our practitioners and our ministers and the information that's out on the internet and the things that bring us to life. So that 94% of our prison population is not male, not that we want to replace it, but female, but our prison population is no longer even an issue. That's a world that works for everyone. That we have enough wise and wonderful male and female bull elephants in our environment that we can just say, hey, we don't do it that way. Well, how do you do it? Well, just hang out with me for a while. And if you don't, if you don't get it from watching me do it, as St. Francis said, then, then I'll tell you. But just watch me for a while. Wonderful wisdom. Wonderful wisdom. So we're here to transform. We're here to transform consciousness. All these people standing, uh, hanging on these walls, consciousness was transformed. They, and when they slipped into resignation, they didn't stay there. They said, I have hope. And I want to share my love. And I want to receive and give and receive love at the highest level possible. So this is what we celebrate. This is why we're here. This is why we've incarnated. This is why we come together and, 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 you know, part of it is it's just so bloody challenging. It's so difficult. Richard Rohr talks about this in this Adam's return. He said it's why, it's why we don't have football stadiums packed full of people cheering and hollering and saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do my own work. I'm going to examine my own life, my own fears, and my own, my own frailties, and I'm going to be humiliated by all of it. But what I'm going to do paradoxically is, is, is be the, the greatest expression of spirit on the planet. It's not a popular idea. And yet we're called, I think we're called and continue to be called to do that work. And to not give up, to not give up on ourselves, not to slip into the resignation, but to continue to understand there's always a new idea, there's always another possibility, there's always, there's always guidance and support. And in doing this work, then we take it from here, the intellectual understanding, which mo- most people get, from the, re- from the recognition to the realization, which is the heart. And then when we got it in the heart, it's a revelation in our lives. The three R's. Recognition, realization, revelation. And so it is.